All right. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to Free Range American episode, uh, whatever it is, with Neil Curry, founder, owner of Ready Gunner in Orem, Utah, former Army Ranger, former rafting guide, former military contractor, aka mercenary as the progressive extremists like to label guys doing security and overseas. Uh, and Neil also has a Black Rifle Coffee down in Orem, down in the shop. Yeah, yeah. I always call it Provo. So everybody tells me, hey, are you going down to Neil's shop? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going down to Provo. Going to go check it out. Uh, it's essentially the same city. Right. Yeah. yeah pull that mic in. Yeah. The, uh, the coffee shop was more of a selfish uh, business more for me right get coffee in the morning yeah and buff cookie of course yeah yeah so uh uh buff cookie uh casey aka casey she's your wife uh you know you guys do a lot of the the instagram as the as the kids like to say it the ig yeah don't you? the instagramming it's kind of a it's kind of our thing you know she's she's big on it um she actually doesn't like doing it to be honest with you though does anybody yeah, I I, does anybody? I, I, yeah, I think a lot of people actually love doing Instagram. Like right. they love posting pictures. You know, maybe it's that. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of uh, uh, the, the ego attracts it. But Casey, like, it's time consuming for her. She right. has a business that she's running, and she's like, "Oh man, I got to take a picture up and post it in three days," and kind of drives her crazy. But but it's a necessary evil. It really is. I think that's a great topic to start on because you're fairly savvy. With the uh, with the media, as we as we say in the game, uh, you have another company, Two A Media, as well. So you know you you've got a few pages out there that you guys kind of run, and you you cross post for other companies and things like that. So you spend do you spend a little bit of time? Well, so I used to. We, right. we kind of have a full-time staff that works for 2A Media Marketing right. now. So we have a full-time photographer, videographer, um, a gal who manages all the client relations, right. does the postings, the schedules, and all that jazz. But but at first, yeah, it was time-consuming. I mean, you guys know better than anybody, social media is, is a huge tool uh, for marketing your business. And back in the day, we started on Facebook for Ready Gunner to promote right. the business and everything was kosher. It was fine. I mean, we were getting tens of thousands of views and thousands of followers literally every day. Right. And then overnight, you know, Facebook drops the gauntlet and said, right. oh, yeah, oh, guns. Yeah, we're not going to do guns anymore. You know, and then our engagement went to like zero, zero, yeah. literally. We went from probably 150,000 views on a video or something to literally less than a thousand right. overnight. So we started looking at other, uh, you know, social media platforms. And Casey, who was on Instagram, she had a little personal account on yeah. Instagram before. She's like, hey, you should try Instagram. And this is obviously pre-Facebook acquisition. Right. So we did. We started Instagram for Ready Gunner. And same thing. It took off, you know, yeah. tens of thousands of followers. And we just blew it up. And then the whole acquisition with Facebook, Instagram took place. And they applied those same rules on Facebook over to Instagram. And everything just kind of died overnight. Yeah. So we're like, well, man, how are we going to promote the business now? Because social media has always been such a big tool for us to promote Ready Gunner, um, especially e-commerce sales and get those out-of-town uh, customers. Right. So we started to essentially do business with other big pages like at Firearms, which is the biggest page on Instagram. It's like 2.2 million followers, the biggest gun page. Right. 
and Gun Freaks and all these other big pages. Pull that mic all the way in, and that way balls can yep. fix the game. Good. And we started to pay, <clears throat> pay them per post. So we're like, hey, it's 150 bucks, 200, 300 dollars right. for you to post uh, something for us. And obviously, we give them the picture, we create the caption, something like, hey, you know, go follow Ready Gun or they sell guns, whatever. So we started doing that and we spent, you know, we started spending in the excess of tens of thousands of dollars on marketing to right. these pages. And I'm like, man, you know, looking at the balance sheet at the end of the year and how much money we spent marketing, I'm like, I wonder what these guys would sell their pages for. And right. just out of pure curiosity, I sent them a DM and I started with Gun Freaks. I said, hey, would you ever be interested in selling your page? And the guy responds with, eh, yeah, obviously, if the price is right. I'm right. like, well, what would be the right price? Like, you tell <laughs> right. me, you know. Right. You never want to be the guy to throw the first offer out, yeah. right? Because you might be way over. So, um, Or you might be under and you're insulting. Yeah. It's like, so oh, obviously, man. you let them right. speak first, which I did. And he threw out this offer of, I think it was like $80,000. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that's a ton of money yeah. for a page. And so I started doing the math on it though and what I was spending. And it came to a point, like at first I was like, hell no, I would never right. spend $80,000 on an Instagram page. But after crunching the numbers from a business standpoint, it started to make sense. And obviously we negotiated the price down to a lower price. I didn't pay 80,000, you right. know, and um, ended up buying the page. And it was kind of a shot in the dark, a little nerve wracking at first. I'm like, man, what did I do? Like I just wired <laughs> this guy, you yeah, know, tens no of thousands shit. of dollars. And we started marketing on the page and it was solely for the purpose of marketing our own business at first. Right. And then um, it was doing really well. Like it was yeah. growing our page and then going through the DMs of the Gun Freaks page, you know, because we went back and we're looking through the DMs. I'm like, man, let's see the conversation this guy's been having with other people because he didn't go and clear anything out. Right. And a lot of people were actually reaching out, same as we, same as we were, wow. saying, "Hey, we want to pay you for a post." So right. we started doing the same thing and essentially created a little business just from the Gun Freaks page and having people pay us to post their product, right. mainly obviously gun pages. So we started a little business. We made our money back in less than six months on that Instagram page. Wow! So now, obviously, I'm going out and I'm sending offers to all these Instagram pages. Anybody right. who had probably over fifty thousand followers. I'm like, hey, would you sell your page? Would you sell your page? And I sent like a couple dozen offers out. And the biggest page, Firearms, was actually owned. I didn't know this at the time, but owned by the same guy who had gun freaks. <laughs> so I sent him a DM right. and I'm like, hey, would you right. sell this page? And the guy's like, oh, hey, Neil, yeah, I sold you gun hey, freaks. Yeah. So there was a relationship there. And obviously, you know, price tag again, right. $100,000 was what he was asking. <laughs> and we negotiated that down, but I ended up buying that page and about a dozen others. So now we have this like, accumulation of these, you know, Instagram pages, probably in the excess of five, six million followers altogether right. that we use to market our own product and the products of other people. It's a marketing right. business now. Yeah. So yeah, it's been good. Yeah. And it's, it was a great idea because I remember, <clears throat> you know, some background, Neil and I have been friends for several years. Uh, I, I don't know, since basically the time that I got to Utah because Vincent, I think, introduced us, Vincent oh, yeah. um, uh, Vargas. And then <clears throat> the, the, the circle is relatively small, especially in Utah. And we we were introduced because you, you and Vince were in 275 together, yeah. right? Yeah, so second range battalion. Um, and you still had that really small shop 
thousand square feet. Yeah, a thousand square feet. And so I I would go down there. And at the time, I was actually selling guns. I wasn't really buying any. Uh, but, you know, we built kind of a, a relationship through that. And then we were doing... I, I forget Jim Staley because you were also... You knew Jim. So Jim owns another company called Deliberate Dynamics and another company called TACGAS. Former recon marine. Awesome guy. We do a ton of business with Jim too. So a lot of these guys from the beginning, you know, I was teaching courses for Jim when he would have events and things like that. I actually that. didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So funny story. Um, I was teaching some courses or doing some shooting at, a, at an event for Jim because he would call me. He's like, he knew I could, you know, throw a pistol around halfway coherently. And I had this you know, coffee that I was like, Hey man, you guys should try black rifle coffee. And <laughs> we're roasting coffee in my garage. And Jim and I are driving around in his truck and he's going, are you sure about this coffee thing, dude? <laughs> like, this seems a little bit fucking out there, man. I don't know about this. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm see, I'm, 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 I'm serious about it. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a big deal. I was way more into that than my, my tactical training business that I was doing. But, all these guys are right here in Utah. So, you know, yeah. Jim Staley, you, me, and we've known each other for several years and we still do a ton of business with each other. Jim does a ton of media for us. You're, you work with Jim now and again too. You and Yeah, I had lunch Cookie. with him yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And he was up here the day before yesterday. Right. So, but retracing our steps. So Neil and I had known each other for probably a couple of years. And then I was telling him, I was like, Hey, I'm, going up to this uh, river in the middle of Idaho called the Middle Fork of the Salmon. And you're like, yeah, I know the Middle Fork. I'm like, how do you know the Middle Fork of the Salmon? Well, unbeknownst to me, Neil, his entire family, it's your dad's side, right? So your grandfather and My your dad, yeah. both. Uh, they have this lineage of epic river guides in your family. And he was a river guide. I was a river guide. So that's when I think I really turned the corner. I was like, this guy, yeah, we he's more than we just became a, good buddies. Yeah, he's yeah. he's more than just a handsome guy, right? He's it's like, a, hey, you were in the military and you were a river guy? Holy <laughs> shit. It's the whole, did we just become best friends? Yeah, yeah. seriously. We were like, holy fuck, man. Do you want to go do Kung Fu in yeah. the garage? Let's do this. It was uh, it was super cool. And then we we went out and did a Middle Fork trip. We, we've done two together now, yeah. right? Um the first one, you, you, I didn't even get a real boat. Yeah. It was weird. It's actually my first time probably in my life, other than when I was like six years old, sitting on a boat, getting rowed down the river. It right. was weird. I, I can't even imagine because knowing now how competent you are that first year where you're like, okay, I guess I'm just a fucking piece of baggage on here. And I hate that experience, by the way, that's one of my yeah. worst experiences. I can't just sit on a boat. I have to be fishing. I have to be rowing yeah. or I have to be sleeping. I don't know. But uh, kind of explain your background like growing up in that in that family of like... Because your grandfather and your dad are both truly icons of, 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 I should say, a very niche piece of American history, right? Yeah. So Jack Curry, my grandpa, my dad's dad, 
started a company called Western River Expeditions. Mm -hmm. So he started this company essentially buying old army surplus like tubes. So they had these tubes that the military used to use back in the day and they would sew them together to make bridges for vehicles to cross rivers or bodies of water. Right. And he took those same tubes that sewed together and essentially made what's now called the J-Rig, which stands for JAG. So, oh, yeah. And they run them on the Grand Canyon to yeah. this day. And they sewed them together. So he took, I think it was, I think it's four tubes. And then they put a frame, like this custom aluminum frame on the top. Yeah. And it'll carry like 20 people and something like 7,000 pounds so, a hold year. hold on. Hold on, dude. So you just dropped something huge, which is your grandfather, Jack, invented the J-Rig. Uh huh. So the J stands for Jack. <laughs> Shut up. So dude. he invented the J rig. It's why it's why Western River Expeditions is the only company running them to this day on the on the river. The other one that most other companies run it called the uh, the S rig, which stands for Scott, which was a guide for my grandpa. Right. So Scott was also an awesome, awesome guide. I've I'd done a bunch of trips with him, but like um, you know. Colorado River and Trail Expeditions, all these other companies that run trips on the Grand Canyon, they're all running the S-Rig yeah. and the Western is running the J-Rig. But that that's where you got to start. So he was running one of the first, like literally four is like Sherry Griffith and four other companies doing Grand Canyon trips. And Western Rivers obviously is one of the first pioneers right. of doing it. And when did they start running the river commercially? This Do you is remember? back in the 60s. Right. So back in the 60s, my dad obviously grew up, you know, working for him as a river guide. Right. Uh, Dave McKay, Verl Dearden, all these guys were river guides for my grandpa. And essentially that group of guides is now what makes up most of the owners of all these other companies like Oars right. and Cray and, and everything Seriously? else. Yeah. Wow. So the the permit actually, so that salmon social trip I run every year yeah, is yeah. owned by Verl. So my dad essentially bought that permit from my grandpa. Cause my grandpa also had a, right. an Idaho um branch of Western River Expeditions, which right. was ran out of Salmon, Idaho. So they did the middle fork, they did the salmon, they did the selway. Right. And my grandpa's like, hey, you know, the, the Grand Canyon's keeping me busy. Obviously, we're bugged years out. You right. know, still, that's how it is. And my dad's like, well, let me take over the Idaho operation. So my grandpa sold my dad and Verl, who partnered up on yeah. the Idaho operation. And they started doing the Idaho thing. My dad eventually ended up selling that and started a company called Curry Expeditions. And he started doing international trips. So he started... Was that to, mainly to India where there's like, he was serving curry or was it... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was, so he served a, he served an LDS mission in Argentina. Oh, there so we go. So he spoke got Spanish. It. Right. I got the curry joke though. That's yeah, a good one. Solid. Yeah. I know. And um, he traveled over to Chile, you know, the neighboring country. And yeah. I mean, Chile is just known for yeah. class five whitewater, beautiful rivers, like Caribbean blue color, snow-capped mountains. And, you know, he was, he did the first ascent on the Futalafu River, which right. is like this famous river now. Um, the Bio Bio, uh, the Figueroa River, which we still have a camp down there. And in tons of other rivers, you know, he's done the Yangtze, the Zambezi. We did the Sutlej, the Brahmaputra in India was a first descent yeah. he did. Um, man, there's a whole podcast I can do on those trips, but the Cowra River, which is a tributary to the Amazon down right. in Venezuela, like I did that one with him and that one was insane. How old were you? Uh, 17. Yeah. And I was rowing a boat and it was supposed to be, I'll give you like the, the quick story on it. It was supposed to be an eight day trip on the water. We flew over it with a helicopter. That's the scouting we did, right? Right. And there was some white water, but not a ton. 
when we got on the river, the river raced so much from like those crazy Amazon rainstorms yeah. they have down there that it went completely dead. So it was just like rolling through a lake. <laughs> and every night at camp, there was something that happened, whether it was like leaf eater ants eating our tents, right. jaguars like ripping rainflies off our tents, Seriously? like bees coming in and, and literally like swarming our, our uh, tables of food to the point where you couldn't even get them. We had to leave a table, like our lunch table at a camp once because it was swarmed with these bees. <laughs> And we had to jump in the river, which keep in mind has piranhas in it. Right. And we're swimming alongside of the boats until we get away from the bees and then jump in and row down river. And we're like, that table's gone. Like, so, I mean, it was a crazy trip. And because the water was so dead, we didn't take into consideration how long it would take us to go down. So right. on eight day, we should have been to where, you know, this takeout point was where we could bring planes yeah. in and fly out. We were on day four. Oh, and we ran fuck. out of food. Are you kidding me? So we're, we're four days out from the takeout. And we're, we have no food left. And we <laughs> Was run, it just you and your dad? No, it was a commercial trip. Oh my God. So my dad would take paying clients on these trips and say, hey, this is like an exploratory trip. Yeah. So, you know, sign all these waivers and keep in right. mind, like we don't, we've never done this before. So, <laughs> you know, and, but people loved it. Yeah. People loved it. We ended up living with an Indian village for a week, like just eating what they were eating. Like they'd spear piranhas and right. they'd come in. I'll show you the pictures are crazy, but. Eventually, we got uh, word to, I still remember the name, because had, they had this really shitty radio there, and it was called Rutaka. And every day, my dad, every morning and every night, he'd be like, Rutaka, Rutaka, you know, this is Expedition Curry, blah, blah, blah. And no one would ever respond. And one day, magically, I don't know, someone just changed that channel. And we had to hack out like an airfield with machetes for the time we were there to make a strip long enough for these planes to come in and land oh God. and pick us up. But the planes, because the strip was so small, couldn't take any weight. So my dad ended up leaving tens and tens of thousands of dollars of equipment with this Indian tribe on the Amazon and just fly us up. I, the tires of the plane were literally skimming the trees as we're leaving. Oh yeah. It was, it was insane, but... That's so, that. That's a whole episode in itself where we'll have to talk about yeah. like just foreign rivers but so your grandfather and your father are these epic guides and then you started guiding at what age so i started rowing baggage boats when i was 14 so right. as you know you can't row clients until you're 18 and you get licensed yeah. so um dave mckay is who i worked for colorado river and trail expeditions and he just had me rowing the the baggage boat which essentially was the garbage slash ship boat yeah. So I took the Groover the and Groovers, I took yeah. all the garbage and then some client bags and that was it. Right. So it was just me and that swarm of flies that follow you down the river, you know, <laughs> as you leave camp. But, um, and I loved it. I loved being on my own boat. I liked having it. When I turned 18 and got my license, I'm like, man, I, I kind of missed the baggage boat. Because you don't have to fuck with clients. Yeah, not, yeah. You know, you don't have to entertain them. You don't have yeah. to tell stories. You don't have to answer questions and talk about the rock formation, yeah, the history, history. and yeah. kind of that plateau. But so, um, and then I just went guiding up until I was about 24, and that's when I went into the military. Oh, shit. you so, were 24 when you yeah, went in? I was one of the older guys in basic training. Wow, everybody, you know, how it is it was like 18, yeah. 19 year old kids, and there's this 24 year old guy. They made me the platoon sergeant. Fuck yeah, they did the whole 14 weeks of basic yeah. training where usually they switch out like every couple of weeks, and they're like, No, man, you're it, you're the, you're the fucking you're like. Senior dude, and every time someone fucked up, which in basic training is the often every occurrence. Day. Yeah, like every it day. was, it was right. my ass getting chewed out and having to, you know, get going to formation and fucking getting smoked. And but anyway, good times. So you joined, and then did you go to Rip right away? Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I went on the option 40 contract, oh, okay. which was the, you know, right. the path that they've laid out to get you straight there. Yeah. And I go to the, the recruiter who was a civilian recruiter at the time. They don't have them anymore. But back then, it's like they allowed civilians to come in and recruit. I had no fucking clue. Yeah. That was a thing. I, I tell recruiters now that's what it was. And they're like, really? They're like, I remember when that was a thing. But man... I can't so even imagine what the fuck is a civilian going to tell you about Ranger Regiment. Yeah. So it was a guy and I'm like, well, he's like, I don't know, man. You just sound right here, you know, <laughs> this is an option 40 contract to get you straight there. So, um, I, I told my, my, uh, girlfriend who is now my ex-wife at the time, Hey, I'm going to, it's cool if I do this. And she's right. like, fuck no. I'm like, no, you're not going to the army. Right. Told my mom and dad, they're like, no, you're not doing right. it. And so I went and signed up. And um, obviously they, they came around later down the road, but went to basic, went to airborne school in Fort Benning, went to Ranger indoctrination program, did the whole cold range thing, and then got assigned to second Ranger battalion at Fort Lewis, flew up there, um, you know, you do your time up there before right. they send you to Ranger school and then went to Ranger school about a year later. And then um, what, did you do four years? Yeah, just four. Yeah, a little over four years, yeah. But when you got out, because you did some contracting too, right? When you got out, was, was there a break between when you got out and when you started contracting? There was a little bit. So yeah. I, I came back out of Rangers and there's that inactive ready reserve time you oh, have yeah. to do, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, IR, yeah. So I started working for a company. They actually recruited me right out of the military. It was a guy who knew me that I was friends with, whose buddy started this company that would make these specialized vehicles for the military. Mm -hmm. So back then, the, the Army was looking to replace the Humvee. So the Humvee's been in the operational vehicle for tens and tens yeah. of years. Yeah. And they said, look, we want to do something better. We've had this thing forever. It's big. It's bulky. It fucking gets stuck all the time. You know, the, the Humvee, when you load it up to 13,000 pounds, isn't the off-road vehicle that everyone thinks it sure is. Sure isn't. When we started up armoring those things, they, we all found that out real fast, yeah, didn't we? It's stuck yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. So they, they essentially sent this contract out or, or a bid, request for bid to like Oshkosh and General Dynamics and Lockheed Martin, all mm -hmm. these big companies and said, look, we're looking for a new vehicle. Give us prototypes. It was like, it was funded by DARPA. Yeah. So we created a, we created a prototype off-road vehicle, sent it to DARPA. DARPA funded the whole thing. They approved it. They signed me up as a project manager or a consultant to be like, hey, we just need a guy with military experience to kind of say, do this, don't do that, right? right. What you guys are looking for. So I became the project manager. It was the Strats vehicle or, or the LSOR. It was Specialized Reconnaissance Assault Transport System. Uh, so I was, I was going back to Michigan a lot, working with a factory up there called Denver Corporation and worked on this project for two years. We made 13 prototype vehicles and essentially got shipped over to uh, Afghanistan right. Right, for Green Beret guys. And, um, you know, I helped train some of those guys on the vehicle. We did right. a bunch of rock crawling and uh, testing at uh, NATC, Nevada Automotive Training Center. Um, after that project ended, I went and worked for Triple Canopy. I, let me tell you, let me back up. I'll tell you this story because it's kind of funny. So we were working with a lot of guys at the Pentagon, like, you know, big three, four-star generals. Um, super important, really super, smart, yeah. really, really oh, yeah. smart guys. Yep, yep. yep. Spend money well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got, I got a letter from St. Louis to get reactivated into the IRR for a 365-day deployment with an armor division to leave to go to Iraq in 30 days. What the fuck? So I get this, this <laughs> like, packet, like this three-inch packet in the thing from Department of Defense. Right. I open it up, fucking orders in there, like report, <laughs> oh I can't remember the, the base, but report to, you know, base so-and-so. It's this fucking armor base. Right. 
you have 30 days to report and 30 days after arriving, you will be deployed to Iraq as, you know, and it has it broken down as MOS. Like they've, they like redesignated. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a fucking armored dude. Like what the, um, so, and I was in the middle of this project. Right. Like I was, I was working with, uh, um, MacDill Air Force Base, SOCOM down there. I'm building these vehicles. So I sent it to one of the the generals that we were working with and he's like, I'll take care of it. So he, he sent a letter to someone or something and, and eventually like a week later, I get like release papers from from the army saying, hey, uh, here's your honorable discharge. Right. Appreciate it. You know, you probably got one of those. And, uh, and that was it. So um, he's like, hey, we're already using Neil on a project. It's more important than filling a slot right. for a deployment you guys are doing. Like you guys can fill that with anybody. Like he's in the middle of this project. Silicon right. project. Yeah. Anyway, I left that, went, worked for Triple Canopy, uh, did the diplomatic security thing in Iraq for two years doing that. Um, did two more deployments in Iraq with those guys. And it was, that was, that was fun. It was yeah. good. But what year, know, what year was that? I was like 2009 to 2011. Oh, okay. That's when I did that. Right. And that's actually when I started Ready Gunner. So I was sitting yeah. in my hooch overseas, you know, in between ops and fucking playing Call of Duty. I, I filed for my FFL with the ATF right. and lined it up so I'd get my ATF interview when I came home on my next leave. And came home, did the interview with the ATF. They assigned me my FFL. I ran it out of my basement for the first year yeah. until the HOA kicked me out and told me I couldn't sell guns out of my that's basement bullshit, anymore. Yeah. HOA. <laughs> any, any, it feels like anything, uh, I, did, I didn't know the obstacles of running a gun company. Honestly, I, I would say if I would have researched it more, and I think a lot of this stuff has actually been developed now. Like we're in place when I started Ready Gunner. Right. Like starting a gun company now when people are like, hey, I'm thinking of starting a gun company. Like what, what can you help me with? I'm like, well, here's what you should know. Right. Like it's like I told you earlier, it's literally starting a business with 40% of the resources not available to you. Your hands tied behind your back. Like you can't market here. You can't do anything with Google. Like we have right. a Google business page who doesn't even let us do posts on there. Right. Like, you know, I can't even sell a hat that says Ready Gunner on it. You're limited on Instagram. You're limited on Facebook. Um, you're limited by literally like nine out of 10 merchant processors. Right. Like it, it's so irritating. Well, I, I, I don't think a lot of people, you know, we talk a lot about it because you know, we're we're on the outside of the gun industry. We're like outside insiders, right? So I don't think a lot of people quite understand how big of a restriction everything is when you're selling firearms and ammunition. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because people don't quite understand that y- you can't even process payments through a standard payment processor, you have to go to, I mean, I forget the company name that everybody uses, right? But there's like one. Yeah. I, I think there might be two, but right? There's like one that's pervasive enough that can actually make a transaction. Uh, and the other the other guys are like, this is too big of a liability. Uh, we can't be associated with it, blah, 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 blah. It's a fucking yeah. dumpster there's, fire. There's no shopping merchant processors. No. It's like, oh, that that's the one. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what the rates are. That's the one you have to use because it's your only option. Right. And even with websites like Shopify is like, no, we're not, no. we're not doing gun stuff anymore. So, right. it's, so it's literally like I'm going back into time, back in the like 2000s where it's like, hey, these are like the few companies that will do business with you and that's it. Like take it or leave it. 
which is insane to me because it's a constitutionally protected right, right? And it's legal. That's the funny. That's the funny thing about it, and I say funny because it it makes me laugh. It really does. Like it's it used to irritate me, and now it's just fucking comical. Right. Where you look at it, you're like, it's the second fucking amendment in the Constitution. Like I think back, like the founding fathers, like when they were writing the Second Amendment, like if they would know, like if we could see into time and and kind of see how the world evolves and the tools available to people and and gun companies like myself, like what else would they have put in there in the Constitution under the Second Amendment to protect us and give us the ability to to do business, Right. right? So it's like the Second Amendment and we're a federally licensed, like our license yeah. is given to us by the federal by the government. federal government. We have a business license to do business through the state. Right. And we've checked every box legally to conduct business, the same as every other business. But it doesn't matter. Like these companies are like, yeah, you know, we know you're doing everything legally and by the book, but we just don't fucking care. Like we just don't like guns. So... And, and, and honestly, I'm kind of torn about it because it's like, you know, these are private businesses like Instagram right. and Facebook. They're sure. privately owned. And, and I wouldn't want anyone to come and tell me how to run my business. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you need to do this because of, of whatever reason. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of torn on that. But it's like, man, I'm, I'm just running a legally legit business selling legal products to law-abiding citizens. Like, right. What the fuck is the problem? Yeah, there, there's a wide variety of things that are put in place to make sure that you specifically, your business is is legally conducting commerce. Uh, which I, I've gone back and forth on this too with Instagram or Facebook or any social platform. And I finally landed here because last year, I think I was more in the frame of mind of they're privately owned companies. Like if you don't want to use them, don't fucking use them. Fuck off. Like they're privately owned companies. But a lot of these companies are publicly owned. So they're publicly owned. They answer to their shareholders. But they're also using or conducting commerce on a system that we paid for. So the government invented and built the internet, right? It's... Mm -hmm. So I look at it like this, which is if there was a private company restricting me from using the interstate, I would be pretty pissed off. Especially if I was conducting legal business on the interstate. Like that's a taxpayer funded initiative. Yeah. So you're profiting by the tunes of billions of dollars as an individual business owner. And most of these, you know, to include, we'll call it Amazon, for instance, uh, just exceeded a trillion dollar in, in, in overall worth using a system that the taxpayers fund and I, more importantly, I think that they sustain right as a method of communication. Um, I think there should be a very specific legally binding uh, section within any company that's conducting commerce on the internet, which is you can choose to not allow you know, uh, uh, commerce on your platform. Absolutely. You sure can, but go build your own internet. Yeah. Right. Go build yeah. it. It's a good, it's a good way of putting it and seeing it too. And I, I agree with, with everything you just said. And, uh, I, the other thing too, is that the things you see on there that they do allow, it's yeah, like, you guys do crazy. You guys do such a good job of like monitoring and so quickly deleting things you're hindering or, you know, throttling back our post. Like you guys are so fucking good at it. Like, I know you can do it, 
So why aren't you doing it over in like the pornography section or the child exploitation section and just, where they're saying we don't have the resources to do that? It's like, you, well, just take the resources you're applying over on my business, my legally right. owned fucking business. Legally owned and operating business. And redirect those over to this arena, you know, if that's, if that's your excuse. It's, it, yeah, it's just they're, sort of they're frustrating. They're super good at understanding who you are and businesses oh, yeah. like you. But for whatever reason, we can't quite, you know, find the click factories in Belarus that are spreading, you know, uh, uh, gaslighting political information from yeah. the far left and the far right. For some reason. We don't have the resources We don't for have that. the resources for that, <laughs> but we can fucking figure out how to like really governor firearms yeah. content. Uh, and that's the frustrating part about, I think, just social media, which goes back to our original point. Just like, does anybody like this shit? Like, does I, 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 I can't fucking stand. I love making media. I love it. It's it's one of the, it's it's one of the gifts that I, I truly think the company has been given in the sense of we can entertain, we can inform, we can inspire. I love making media. I hate working with these companies because yeah. they don't share my values. They're you know Silicon Valley progressive wingnut fucktards that live in in a in a hyper um, restricted bubble with a bunch of people that are uh, essentially just a, a group of 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 um, echo chamber hypocrites that. They want to restrict all the information they can from people that they don't like, right? But if they're part, if you're part of the, if you're part of the, the club, yep. fucking A, we're going to put you on the front page of Instagram. Like I was, I opened up Instagram the other day and they were highlighting, yeah, uh, like transgender uh, face painting. And I'm like, minority transgender face painting or some shit. And I was like, Okay, but that 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 constitutes probably less of a tenth tenth of a percent of the overall that's, population. That's the, the thing is, it's not like we're some small majority. No. It's not like we're some small group that they're like, ah, oh, these guys 50 are fifty plus it's, million yeah. people in the United States, and then you have, I mean, how many minority transgender face painters are there out there? Right, a hundred? I don't fucking know. A thousand. <laughs> Yeah, I, I lost. And not, I don't. I don't have anything against that. If that's your shit, like you do, you man. That's what I truly believe in. But we have a constitutional right to conduct uh, a commerce, and uh, there's 50 million people of us in the United yeah. States to do this. And you're gonna. I feel like it's got to come to a head soon. It honestly. does, right? Like, where where does this road end? Yeah, it, I think about it all the time. You know, especially going into this this election year. Now you got you got so you got you know obviously President Trump. You got Biden and Harris who've already said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna ban AR-15s." You know, yeah. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And uh, and it's funny. He's like, "Well, it, you did do it before. It didn't work before." You know, yeah. like there's all that evidence. There's all those mass shootings that still happen. Still you know? happen. Um, and and I don't know, man. I, I feel like us as a human race population, like we're just super ignorant and forgetful, like short-minded people. Like we, we don't look at the past. We don't no. look at history. We don't study it. We don't, we don't take, I think most people now don't take data and analyze it. They just say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a left, you know, progress. I'm a, I'm a left uh, person. I'm a Democrat. Mm -hmm. I'm a lib I'm a, 
almost said libtard because you just said it, but I'm a liberal. I'll say it. And, And these are my views and this is what I've been told that I need to do you know, I can't think outside of that box. That's what right. I have to do. I don't like guns because I'm a left. And with this, with 2020, it's been such an interesting year owning right. a gun store. So we, we've sold more guns. And keep in mind, 2019 is the biggest year we've had. It was right. year number nine of doing business. It was our biggest year. Right. We beat 2019 numbers before we even hit June. That's and, crazy. And coronavirus didn't start till middle of March. Yeah. So so January and February were regular Excel months for us, which, right. which were good, but nothing like, I think, you know, maybe we were 20% above the, the right. previous year. As soon as coronavirus hit, that first week in coronavirus is still our biggest week. Uh, I can't even year. imagine. And I mean, just gun sales, gun sales, gun sales, gun sales, and people coming in like, I don't, I don't have a gun, never had a gun, right. never seen a gun. I don't really care about guns, but I want one. I want what, one. what can you give me? So we go through the process of selling them. And um, we saw more first-time gun owners probably in this year alone than I've seen in the nine years of previously doing business. And buddies coming in like, hey, my buddy just came in here, right. bought a gun, I want a gun. Right. And th- things kind of started to slow down a little bit. This is right before the whole George Floyd thing happened. Right. And, but still crazy numbers every week. The manager sent me numbers at the end of every day. And then the riot started. And same thing. Same thing. Numbers took off. Like yeah. It went through the roof. Like it was like, oh, I need a gun. I should have bought it during the coronavirus. Yeah. But, but, but now I know for sure I need one with all these riots and everything going on. And, and Orem Provo, which is literally, they call it Happy Valley. Yeah. Like the most innocent place it in is. the nation, you know, unless you live it, like in some small like town in Montana. It yeah. looks like Pleasantville, USA. Yeah. There was a shooting like some, in, in Provo, Center yeah. Street Provo, right next to the yeah. police station. This guy is trying to drive through. Right. And obviously the Antifa protesters, protesters are down yeah. there, all 20 of them that are located in Utah County. Uh, blocking traffic and this guy's trying to get through just going to work or whatever he's doing old guy like over six years old right and this guy pulls out a car a gun and starts shooting into his fucking truck like just some random dude shooting another random dude and after that day too man so many people came in and said you know what i need a gun i i I think there are so many direct representation uh or, or representative facts within the last two years that should be skewing everybody's frame of mind towards being a gun owner and the reasons why, right? And I think, one, Americans should never forfeit their rights. They shouldn't vote to forfeit their rights ever, right? You shouldn't relinquish or capitulate ground in any way, shape, or form. The government has proven themselves to be so blatantly incompetent at every fucking thing they do. And people can say, because I I heard this the other day and I've said this so many times. They're like, oh, but look at social security. I'm like, look at it. Are you fucking using social security as your direct representation of how successful the government is? They can't fund it in the next five years or something. They're, They're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, you have these military industrial complex and pharmaceutical controlled corporate entity politicians that are the dumbest fucking humans on the planet, why would you ever capitulate your rights to these people that have zero interest in seeing your individual happiness? They have zero interest. They want power. They want wealth. They want status. And when I say this, I'm hyper-generalizing, right? But 
We've seen how incompetent and grossly incompetent this is at so many different levels. When people talk about universal healthcare, I don't disagree with it in principle, right? I really don't because I think every child in America truly does deserve healthcare if we can afford it. But you can't do it through the government system. As a guy that's received military and, and government healthcare for my adult life, it is grossly broken and incompetent. I cannot tell enough people loudly and more prominently, like, this is a fucked up system. Like, go read the veteran, the VA horror stories of guys trying to get appointments that are six mm-hmm. months out. They get surgeries that they don't need. There's, we just opened the ability to get malpractice lawsuits towards doctors. And it's like, you don't want the government involved in this. If you want another, like, let me cite a million different examples just in my lifetime. We've been in Afghanistan now for fucking 20 years, right? 20 years, give or take. Transference of wealth, trillions of dollars at this point into the military industrial complex. Special operations overthrew Afghanistan in less than 120 days. A large-scale military occupation in Afghanistan and Central Asia that transfers wealth from the taxpayer into the military-industrial complex to the tune of trillions of dollars for something that doesn't have a end-stated mission success criteria. It's like, man, you guys need to wake the fuck up and stop allowing politicians to take cash out of your pocket, control your lives... I mean, and you're a living, breathing example of this because you have you have to run your government or you have to run your business with interference of the government on a fucking regular basis. Yeah. It, the hypocrisy in politics is is funny to me. You have right. you have the left side. Remember the whole abortion thing where they're oh, yeah. like, oh, you know, the government shouldn't tell me what to do with my body. Right. And then the COVID hits and it's like, no, the government knows best. Like yeah. they should like they say wear a mask. Yeah. We should wear a mask, you know. Wear, wear a cloth. It's, it's, it's wear, like the, hip, the hypocrisy is insane. And and think of this, you ha- you have these people, and AOC is a perfect example of this. Right. Where it's like you have these leaders that we put into office. And we put them in the highest positions to make the biggest decisions for everybody in the right. nation, right? They're making decisions for 375 million people or whatever the population is now in the U.S. without any kind of criteria or no. resume to hold that position. Or consequence. Yeah. It's like, oh, we could we could literally take anybody off the street and say, hey, you're now going to make the biggest decisions for all of us that are going to affect all of us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put that faith in you. It's like, oh, but... What's your resume? I was, I don't know. I was a bartender. I was a bartender. I know all about like making drinks. I mean, you had that one dumbass a it, few years ago that thought islands floated. Me. That was funny. It was like, he that, thought that, that islands I'm concerned was... about weight being shifted to one side. It's like, are you, are you mentally fucking handicapped? And, yeah. But this is the thing when you have these law enforcement entities and you, if you look at, you know, the, the war on drugs or, uh, you know, the ATF, okay, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, it's legal, right? It's, it, they're all legal. And this isn't a judgment against ATF agents because I've met a couple that are very fucking pleasant people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you, you know, as, as, a, as a law enforcement entity, you're, you're still weighing in on all things that are legal. You know, 
alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. It's like, it's a alcohol. Okay. So who do you work for? At the end of the day, it's like it, alcohol is legal. Oh, well, you can't have a still in your fucking backyard and make moonshine. Okay. But why? Why not? It's legal. Yeah. Like, it, so it what if you blow your fucking money. house up because you're an idiot? It's like, assume some individual responsibility. That That's a thing. I, and again, the other night, I mean, Casey, we're talking about this and the individual responsibility aspect. I feel like it's gone out the window. No. Like there's no accountability they, anymore for anything. No. It's everybody else's fault. It's this woke cancel culture it, bullshit. Everything is politically driven now where it's like, hey, you're left or you're right. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna like this, like you, let you do business, not do business, depending on your political views right. and your standpoint. And, and guns, I mean, it's been it's always been such a big one. I mean, this goes back, you know dozens and dozens of presidents that were obviously the second amendment. I mean, this, yeah. it, it was put well, there I mean, for a reason. This has always been an issue, you know, tyranny has always been a concern. Yeah. And, and, um, it's like, well, let's, let's talk about guns. It's like, you want to ban guns to prevent mass shootings, right? right? That's, that's their thing. It's like, oh, they're bad. They kill people. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what they were designed to do. You right. know, I use them for hunting. I use them for sport, I use them for recreation, but they also do kill people. You know, their purpose is there and uh, you're, Bet your ass. That's also why I want to fucking have one. Not only right. to hunt, but so I can shoot somebody in the fucking face if I need to. Right. You know, to be blunt. It's like the, the biggest reason people want to hold on to their guns is for defense. Or it's like, let's say we could just make all the guns magically disappear in the world with a snap of a finger. Let's fucking Thanos this, right? right. I snap my fingers and with all my infinity stones, I make guns disappear. Right. Who's calling me? And... um. Okay, well, let's let's look at that world. Okay, no mass shootings with guns, right? But are are we taking away explosives? Are we taking away every other instrument that causes harm? And let's talk about let's talk about my daughter or my wife, right? Who may be walking alone in a parking lot, and and is approached by some larger, stronger person. Mm-hmm. And she, what defense does she have? Like this guy could kill her with his bare hands, right? right? He could pummel her to fucking death in a parking lot, not requiring a gun to do so. Like what equalizer is there for Casey to defend herself? Like we never talk about like the the prevention of harm or crime, you know, that, that guns prevent. We always just talk about the bad that they can, you know, can uh, cause. But it's like, would you want, like, let's say if you could prevent, you know, playing to their game, like you have a, your wife and she's walking through the parking lot to work and you know, if she had some kind of equalizing tool, like a gun, a handgun right. to defend herself that would prevent her from getting killed. I'm like, now what? Do you still want guns to be gone? Right. Well, well, everybody's created equal, you know? So there is no such thing as like a, a, a more powerful person that's either male or female. There's no such thing because everybody's equal and they're all the same, right? Yeah. In their world, right? Everybody's yeah. the same. You know, they're... Somebody can't be overpowered just because their gender, right? So, you know, it's the most irrational, you know, feelings-based decision-making and narrative. I, I think I've heard as an American, it's so interesting to me because, you know, people, uh, what was Clinton was, uh, was, was speaking at the DNC convention or is. So, Here's a guy that was directly responsible for the assault ban, the assault weapons ban, but he's also directly connected to Jeffrey Epstein with multiple trips on his jet, 
pictures with, you know, Galene Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein with, you know, the accused, the, the accuser victims of what, you know, this fucking sick pervert was doing. And the DNC is like, fuck yeah, let's, let's get him to speak. They're, they're getting bold. Like they're getting yeah. to the point where they're getting so bold that they're like, what are you going to do? You what know, you like do? we're the government, you know, we're the, we're the fucking deep state. We have right. all the power. What are you guys going to do about it? That's what like, it is. Like they don't give a fuck anymore. They they're just like, they don't, they're like, you're not going to do anything. No. What are you going to do? You know, and they, they almost just hang it and taunt us with it. Where yeah. it's like, look, we, we can do this shit and we get away with it. They, they, they hit it. I mean, it's always been a thing, right? But they mm. always hit it so much better. Where I feel under the Trump presidency, for whatever reason, yeah. like it's come it's out exposed. and they just yeah. they put it out in front of us and say, look, yeah, we do this stuff, but we are who we are. We can do this and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's a huge percentage of government employees. And this is coming from two guys that worked for the government, by the way, for extended period of years. I mean, I have almost a decade at the CIA and I have, you know, a decade in, in the military. And you have a group of people that truly believe that they don't really answer to the public. And whether that's with budget, whether that's with actions, whether they you know are above the law. And when you go to DC and you get immersed into the culture of what is DC, it is a fucking cesspool of thought, right? It is a cesspool of thought in the sense of they truly believe they 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 control what happens and there isn't any ramifications for uh, 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 or consequences for bad actions. And they do it over and over again. Oh yeah. Hillary's you know, a perfect example. She's of that. a great example of that. So here's a person that can just disappear. You know, how many people now that directly associated with the Clintons have just like had, you know, accidents you know they've been they've suicided, they've suicided themselves <laughs> in the back of the fucking head and fallen off bridges and fuck god you know their brake lines don't work and then their emails can disappear off a server uh you know men and women can die and it, it, it and there's no consequences nobody gets fired nobody goes to jail so it's like they, they hold the conference and she'll essentially even come out and admit it, yeah, you know. Works, and they hold a conference so and, they're, and they're like, oh, okay, thanks for coming. Yeah, Bye. Thanks, thanks Back for, to your multi-million dollar home that you yeah. bought with, you know, all the money you've made as a yeah. politician. Yeah, I, I, you know, your book deals and your public speaking and the, the millions and millions of dollars that you've, you've, you've gained while in office. And they can individually push pieces around on the board and they can control and manipulate what the outcome is. You know, this, this whole thing, and don't get me wrong, this is, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican, you know, who got fired for lying to the American public about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, who, who lost their job, who went to jail? Uh, I, let me think, who did that? Was that Colin Powell? So how many days in jail did Colin Powell fucking sit in an iron box for being a fucking lying piece of shit. Yeah, these guys get shuffled around like yeah. like chess pieces, you know, where it's like, oh, we moved him from this office to this office and, yeah. and uh, that was his punishment. But, you hey, know? you know, Bush Jr., he's painting fucking photos of guys now, so he's all good, right? So, you know, GW that invaded Iraq, he's all good because he paints photos of veterans, right? And he's now he's painting photos of immigrants or whatever. So we're all fucking good. We're all good with that. Uh, no. 
I'm not okay with that, right? And I don't give a fuck if people are like, well, GW, hey man, you know, stars and bars. Okay, there is no end in sight. There is no mission focus. There are no key success criteria for what the fuck that thing was. And I was there from the beginning to the end. Like every fucking year I was in Iraq from the time that we opened that motherfucker to the time that we closed it down in post-SOFA. And then... You know, Obama's like, oh man, I got everybody out of Iraq. And it's like, yeah, but you <laughs> surged everybody in Afghanistan. And where are all these guys that have committed like heinous acts of dishonesty towards the American public and cost thousands of American lives, lost trillions of dollars, defocused the priorities against who are real strategic enemies, really were, yeah. which we, is we've China become, and Russia. We've become immune to it. Yeah. We be, we've become immune to being lied to by politicians. We're so used to it now that we just kind of shrug it off. We, we, we literally let these guys get away with it. And yeah. everyone's like, well, when's someone going to do something? Like, who's going to be the person that's... That- well, you know, I mean, here's, here's Trump, like a great example. So they can lie on their... Your, their they, they can lie, just blatantly fabricate information. You know, they can pull their, their FISA warrants. They can lie. They can spy. They can do anything they want. We can drag this on for two years, spend millions of taxpayer dollars and find... And, I, and before anybody accuses me of not reading it, I listened to all 20 plus hours of the Mueller report. And don't get me wrong. If you're looking for something to put you to sleep, it's fucking awesome. But... No politician in the executive office, if they would have put Hillary under the same level of scrutiny, there's no fucking way she would have survived an impeachment. There's no fucking way. This guy never run for office. So I was just thinking about that. It's like, so he's running for office against people that are professional politicians. And not only are they professional politicians, they are professionally trained at running a hyper complex fucking shell game of finance and fucking communication and everything else. So he survived the highest level of scrutiny of any president that has been put into fucking office by the American public. The highest level of scrutiny. He had the FBI, you know, 10 miles up his ass with a fucking microscope for two years. And they still, the best they can do is the Logan Act, which is like 1700s or some bullshit. Like, fuck off. And then... All these guys from the FBI and then the previous administration, nobody is being... So I can't wait. Personally, like I don't give a shit. Conservative, Democrat, it's the same tiger of the same stripe. If you want to take control from the American public, if you want to take control from the individual, if you want to you know, centralize power in the federal government, fuck you. You're the same. You're the same to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I'm with you. I yeah. feel all politicians are pretty pretty similar. I mean, they'll get into office. You know, Trump's probably the only one that went into office with money. But these guys come in like, hey, I'll go back to her. Yeah. And, and, and dozens and dozens and dozens of others. I, I mean, other than Trump, like, who's a wealthy politician that went in? You know, maybe Romney or something like that. But they come in, you know, with, with you know, regular level of money and finances. And they all come out freaking millionaires. Yeah, millionaires. Yeah, worth, that's all taxpayer money. It's all taxpayer yeah. money. It's all you can't be charged with insider trading. You you know oh, yeah. you can't. So I guess the point of this is a guy that owns a firearms company that tries to do business in social media that, that's out there every day, like 
kind of trying to earn a living within a space that's there's a huge percentage of people that love firearms and more importantly love their individual rights yeah so that that's the biggest thing and we we've, we've been lucky like we have such a great customer base like our customers yeah. are off, awesome and because of our social media we're able to get support obviously nationwide we're not just right. you know our brick and mortar stores in Utah but we have client base across the US just the same as you guys do yeah and um, and that support is is what really keeps me going like the 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 comments on Instagram you know the uh, the people coming in, we've made such good friends. And like you said, it's a pretty small group circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's really essentially what keeps the, the company going. It's like, I got to ignore all that stuff on the right. Those are obstacles I can overcome. Right. As long as we have the, the customer support and base and, and we all kind of stick together. And honestly, that's, I think, the biggest thing with all the shit that's going on these days. It's like, hey, just us as like a fucking, you know, human population. Like, we just need to support each other, help help each other out. And and just, and fuck those guys, you know? What do you think is going to happen? So as we start getting near the election, are, are we going to see, because it's close. I've, I, I watch the polls every day. Like, are you guys prepared for the amount of, firearms you're going to sell because if Biden's fucking super close in the polls. So I, I started ramping up because I knew this was going to be a big election year. I didn't yeah. know 2020 was going to be such a shit show. What it, what it is. <laughs> yeah. Like no one predicted that. Nobody. But I started buying guns 2019 for right. 2020. Like we started buying dozens and dozens. Like we were stockpiling guns in the back just to prepare for 2020. Luckily, right. we, we did start doing that. But unfortunately, like that shit sold in March. Yeah. It was gone in March. Like everything had stockpiled for an election year was gone in like literally 10 days. That's so crazy. And, and finding inventory now, like I get text messages all the time. They make me laugh like, hey, do you have any bulk nine millimeter ammo? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I get those texts. So I can't even imagine how many you get. I'm like, I don't even have, like we sold everything. I probably had a couple hundred thousand cases like or, or right. rounds, a couple hundred thousand rounds of nine mil. Like that's what we try to keep in stock yeah. at all times. And that shit was gone. And I'm calling everybody. I'm calling my guys at Federal, at MagTech, at Cellular, and Bell, at all the everything. distributors. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'll take everything. Like, you can ship me 10 million rounds. I'll fucking wire you the money. <laughs> right. like, they're like, yeah, yeah, you and everybody else, buddy. Yeah, you know, fuck it's off. like, it doesn't matter how much 9 mil or 556 shows up, it is gone within two days. Like, I'll get 60,000 rounds at a time and it's gone. Right. And that's that's me limiting it, like yeah. two boxes per customer. Oh my God. And it's, Crazy. it's just, in, in case he's like, hey, did you save us a case? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't even have any nine mil in, no. you know, at least not at the store. Just what's loaded in my mags and all my guns. But right. it, it's insane. And AR-15s, everything I buy now is off allocation. So I can't just hop on a distributor right. side or, or send a, an email and say, hey, I want to order this. And it comes. Like, I get caught. That's actually what that call was. I should have taken it. Um, and so you guys could hear it. But... I get allocations of like, this is what's available. I got two Glock 43Xs, 119, and that's the allocation yeah. for the day. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll take it. Take Thanks it. for the three guns. So, you know, if I receive $30,000 in inventory in a day, essentially that's what I'm going to sell that day. So you can almost predict like what your sales number is going to be for the day oh according to what gets received at shipping and receiving that morning. So it's it's crazy. And we're, we're trying to stockpile it as much as we can. But the way 2020 is going to like something... There's no stockpile. You know, there's mean, no stockpile. Like I, something happens almost, I feel like every... Every fucking week. Yeah, every every week something comes up and it's like, boom. Like a... Well, my my buddy is uh, uh, the CEO or president, sorry, of uh, Vista Outdoors, 
right? So they own like Federal and CCI yeah. and Spear. Two years. He's like, we we won't get enough primers. This will not. We we won't be so it, it stock tip Vista Outdoors uh, VSTO. Uh, I invested when it fucking hit the bottom. So I invested around I four, watching four, four twenty, give or take. Like we'll call it four fifty. It's over twenty one bucks now. And you know I'm not I'm not a wealthy guy by any stretch of the imagination, right? So it's like that stock. That stock is that stock has made me a very, very, very fucking happy man in the last couple months. Uh, and it's not going to slow down. Like they're yeah. they're I, I think the primer shortage, and they weren't telling me there was a primer shortage. It was actually the guys from Alpha Munitions over here that was my next door neighbor. Um, he was telling me that they're hearing that it's fucking two years before they're gonna get primers back in line to meet the actual demand. And if Biden gets elected, I mean, God help us. That, if that's he does. the thing is, we are so behind the curve on we're inventory, fucked on inventory, and, and we're like you said, two years out from even recovering. Yeah, it's well, it's crazy. And we have these strained relationships with fucking Russia and China, which fine with me. You know, fuck them. I don't give a shit if we make one thing in China for the rest of our fucking country's existence. Uh, I I. I can't even imagine being in a, a large international corporation that relies on, you know, different assets that they have to import from, you know, China. I that's one of the reasons why I love coffee because I'm like I'm going to South America. All those guys are fucking pretty awesome. Yeah. When I you know, you go to Guatemala or Colombia or any of these other places, you know, they're pretty pro democracy. They've got a little bit of socialism in there, but they Every guy that I talk to that's a business owner or farmer or coffee coffee guy, they're yeah. like, fuck socialism. These guys are idiots. Yeah. I'm a big fan of South America. Spent a lot of time down there. I love it down there. We got it. We got to go. We got to go down there and like run a river or, you know, if oh, I'm in. Biden gets elected, maybe just fucking move, move down there. Operation down re- there. Relocate yeah. to... Ready Gunner you know, South. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Black, <laughs> Black Rifle Coffee Company now in like a, a more democratic state. Like I, I can't imagine like this socialism narrative, which I don't give a shit who you are as far as when you read socialism, when you... When democratic socialism... You have to read the platforms and the objectives of each one of these parties. Their objective is to turn you on with socialism light and then get you in to communism. That is the entire objective. Uh, I'm not a Cold War, you know, propaganda junkie. I'm saying as a guy that spent, you know, the majority of my life overseas, that's I've gone to, I can't even count 60 plus different countries looking at the direct representation of what tyranny, classified tyranny, and what socialism, how it exists overseas, especially in the developing world, it it destroys countries. It destroys countries. It, it, you bring up a good point. So, um, I mean, think of all the people who've never traveled outside of the U.S., yeah. right? And, and they're like, oh, this country, this, this country, that, you know, these guys are... Like, have you been there? Right. You know, have you been there? Like, there's a lot of great countries out there. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I've been to a right. lot of cool places like Chile and Argentina. I love them, but love them. like Argentina's government. Oh my gosh. It's um, fucked. Yeah. It's super, fucked. super fucked. Super fucked. But it, it's like you guys live in a bubble. Yeah. Like, you guys literally, even a lot of politicians live in a bubble. It's like you guys have never 
been. You guys are trying something that's already been tried in all these other places. This isn't it anything sucks. new. You guys aren't coming up with a new concept or or some new form of like democracy. Like no. this already this has been tested. Like there's fucking data on this. And you guys are trying to, re, you know, essentially do the same thing that's been done over here and it didn't fucking work. Didn't work. But you're saying it's going to work here because of, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, it's like, just go to China. Do you guys want what? I, I, that's the thing I don't quite understand because Americans need to be better at understanding their information and who their, their actual enemies are. You, know, you look at the Wager population within China, they're being rounded up and shifted up into re-education camps in China right now. They have the the most sophisticated police state now in the world. Uh, there's no uh, there there's no check to what they can do to their civilian population. There's zero, and you're not going to have demonstrations. You're not going to have people that are are have the right to demonstrate. There's none of that. You're you're going to a very dark hole that you might spend the rest of your life in, or you're just going to fucking die yeah. and you're going to disappear. That's what real communism, socialism looks like. It's complete. That's the thing that people don't quite understand what it is. In order for the system to work, they have to control everything. The system doesn't work unless you capitulate all the controls. So it's economic control, it's health control, it's everything. You have to capitulate everything in order for that system to even have a chance of working. You have to forfeit everything. Well, fuck, it's not worth it. So even in a utopian state where you're like, fuck yeah, this is going to work. I'll tell you where a socialism or a communist state works. It's inside the federal penitentiary. That's what, that's what real communism looks like. It works there. Yeah. Armed guards open doors, here's your chow, go back to yourself. Yeah. That shit works. That's what it looks like. Or basic training. Yeah, yeah. or basic training. <laughs> Shave your head, wear your uniform, comrade. Like, let's get you re-educated. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, America is like a Brazilian steakhouse. Like, I was doing this analogy thing, right? Like, it's like going to that Brazilian steakhouse and you're like, fuck yeah. Green, I'm going to roll that thing fogo, over. Fogo de chow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to roll that thing over. You're going to see green and I want you to keep loading me up with delicious meats. That's what I want. But you're kind of like, oh man, I, oh man, I ate too much. Oh my goodness. Gotta feel a little bit bloated, you know, <laughs> like I ate a lot of delicious meats. That's your fault, motherfucker. Like you filled yourself up and you're a little bit sick. Like it sucks, yeah. but you still have the choice. You can flip that thing over to red. You can turn it off anytime you want, but it's delicious as fuck. Socialism is like eating in your elementary school chow hall every day. You're hungry and the food tastes like shit. That's what it is. The difference is, is the difference between a Brazilian steakhouse and a fucking elementary like uh, uh, dining facility. That's what, it, you know, like white bread with one slice of cheese and some dank ass turkey and a fucking bowl yeah. of peas. Yeah, you I get fed. I was more fed. of a piece of pizza kind of guy, but yeah. Yeah, I never, I grew up in Idaho, so people didn't really, we didn't have good food there, but Neil Curry, dude. It's been a long time coming. Uh, Neil's a great friend of mine, great friend of Black Rifle. Uh, if you're in Orem, stop by Ready Gunner, grab a cup of Black Rifle coffee. They've got RTD, so they got the new ready, uh, ready to drink down there. They've got coffee. They've got all kinds of cool shit. 
Uh, plus, he's a rad dude and his wife's awesome. The entire business, like Willie, everybody that works down there, they're just incredible it, it, people. Yeah, great staff. And we got the shooting range too. And get oh, yeah, coffee, that's right. coffee yeah. and shoot some guns. Yeah, know, get, get, the two, get behind the 240 or something. Yeah, get caffeinated, fucking rip off some of those 50 cal rounds. Yeah, come shoot know. the new MP7. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, I'd, I'd love to come down and shoot the new MP7. I haven't shot one for a while. All right, Neil. Uh, Neil at Instagram. It's pretty easy. Uh, Buff Cookie on Instagram. Ready Gunner. And if you're in Orem, stop in, drink some coffee, shoot some guns, celebrate freedom. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>